Corinthians chapter 1 this morning. 2 Corinthians chapter 1 will be our passage. Do you ever wonder, do you ever go through life, maybe you're going through a trial and you're wondering, God, why me? Anybody ever go there? Everybody, anybody, I'm the only one that's ever said that. Everybody else in this church is lying this morning. So uh, anyway, I ever wonder why me? God, what is it that you are trying to teach me? What is the meaning and purpose of this trial or this suffering in my life? We saw a few weeks ago, James says, count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet various or trials of various kinds. Sometimes that can catch us off guard and somehow we think that God has abandoned us. Sometimes we can get the mindset or the thought, and it's, it's from the devil, it's from the pit of hell, but he, he'll creep in and he tries to discourage us, say, where is your God? He's forgotten you. He's abandoned you. He's forsaken you. And folks, nothing could be further from the truth. It's actually through those trials that we experience God's greatest periods of comfort. Do you believe that, church? It's during the times of trial, the times of suffering, the times of adversity we experience God's comfort. We experience his love. It's during those periods of testing that the word of God takes on a fresh meaning. And we begin to see the relationship that we have with God so much clearer and with clearer eyes than ever before. The trouble is an inescapable, inescapable reality this morning in a fallen world. We live in a sin-cursed world. And the reality this morning is we will face trial. We will face suffering. We will face adversity. We will face struggles on every end. It's in those moments that we experience God's comfort. Think back to a time when you experienced the comfort of God. Times that he rescued you. He picked you up and set you back on the rock of Christ Jesus. And he dug us out of the, the miry pit, so to speak. And, and we, we experienced the comfort of God. It's in those moments that we know we are a child of God. We, we experience the work of the Holy Spirit in our life as, as he convicts us. He encourages us. He comforts us. He, he strengthens us in all of these things. And the trouble, though, is it's going to happen. They, and so as we go back to the periods of time we have seen God comfort us, it's an encouragement. It strengthens us. Diedrich Bonhoeffer was a, 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 one of a handful of German theologians who stood up to the Nazification of the German church. Our mission team that was just in Romania uh, a couple weeks ago got to go to a Holocaust museum in Oradia, Romania. And I tell you, you could not walk around that uh, museum and not be moved to tears. In fact, as you read the stories, I took pictures of, of a few of the, the, the signs as he was talking about the trains of death. And, and, and they would load people all over Europe onto trains and send them to Auschwitz and different concentration camps where they were tortured and they were forced into hard labor. And many of them, thousands and millions of them gave their lives. And folks, Diedrich Bonhoeffer was, was a German theologian, and he was living during that time. And he was, a, he was prominent in writing the famous Barman Declaration, which rejected the infamous Aryan clauses imposed by the Nazi ideology. Bonhoeffer's courage thrust him into the leadership of the Confessing Church, and he helped start 
an underground, underground seminary in Bavaria, which was later shut down and led to his imprisonment. Bonhoeffer's letters from prison became a bestseller after the war. Among the letters was a poem written to his fiancée, Maria von Wiedemeyer, entitled New Year 1945. Stanza 3 is famous. It says, Should it be ours to drain the cup of grieving, even to the dregs of pain, he says, At thy command we will not falter, thankfully receiving all that is given by thy loving hand. Poignant words that became more so when three months later, just as the war was ending, Bonhoeffer was hung in Flossenburg prison. Fast forward some 18 years later, across the Atlantic in America, when another bride-to-be was grieving the death of her fiancé and found comfort here in Bonhoeffer's poem. Her fiancé, who died from injuries in the sledding accident, was the son of author Joseph Bailey and his wife Mary Lou. When she mailed Bonhoeffer's poem to them, Joe and Mary Lou also found comfort in that poem, New Year 1945. Twelve years after this, 30 years after Bonhoeffer's death, Joe Bailey received a letter from a pastor friend in Massachusetts relating that he had visited a terminally ill woman in a Boston hospital for some period of time and had given her Joe's books of poems and heaven as a comfort for her soul. The pastor said that the dying woman had stayed awake late the previous night to read it and told him of the comfort that she had received from it. A few hours later, she died. That woman, the pastor revealed, was Maria von Wiedemeyer Weller, who was Bonhoeffer's fiance three decades earlier. Here's a poem. Her fiance, who's in a prison for his faith, had written, and 30 years later in America, here is his former fiance who is receiving comfort from words he wrote while in prison being passed down through multiple people, encouraging multiple people. Folks, our, our text today outlines the greatest testament to God's comfort in all the Bible. The word comfort appears ten times in this passage. In fact, it's one-third of all of the 31 times that the word comfort appears in the New Testament. Paul says more about suffering and comfort than any other writer in the, in the Word of God. And So let's jump into our text this morning, 2 Corinthians Chapter 1, we're going to begin reading in verse 3. It says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and God of all what, church? Comfort. It says, Who comforts us in all of our afflictions so that we might be able to comfort those who are in any affliction with the comfort by which we ourselves are comforted by God. For as we share abundantly in Christ's sufferings, so through Christ we share abundantly in comfort too. If we are afflicted, it is for your comfort and salvation. If we're comforted, it is for your comfort, which you experience when you patiently endure the same sufferings that we suffer. Verse 7 says, our hope for you is unshaken. For we know that as you share in our sufferings, you will also share in our comfort. Holy Spirit, would you speak to our hearts? God, I don't know what any one person in here is facing today. But God, you do. And Lord, you are the God of all comfort. God, you are the one who loves us and encourages us in times of, of trial and suffering. 
God, would you encourage this body of believers, those that are sitting here in this room this morning, you know what they're facing, you know the struggles that they're facing. God, those that are tuning in online or will watch this maybe in the days or weeks to come, would you encourage our hearts as a body of believers, God, to know that you are the God of all comfort. Whatever we're facing didn't catch you by surprise, didn't catch you off guard or unprepared. God, would you minister to us in our time of need? God, would you encourage us this morning? God, most importantly, if there's someone who doesn't have a personal relationship with you, may they get that matter of their salvation settled today once and for all. We'll be careful to praise you and give you all the glory and honor. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Here is Paul's second letter to the church at Corinth. And his goal in, in letter number two, he's trying to encourage the church. He's, he sees a church that's young, that's immature, that's facing adversity, that's facing trials. He says, I want to encourage you. I want to strengthen you during this time. And we see, first of all, God is a God of compassion in verse 3. He crafted his words carefully as he adopted worship expressions from Jew the Jewish synagogue. He typically Christianized Jewish expressions by articulating whose God he was worshiping. Worship and praise were owed only to the God who sent Jesus to die on the cross for our salvation. The Jews would praise God for his compassion. Oh, our Father, merciful Father. So Paul used that same pattern here in verse 3, and he knew it was to experience God's mercy. He says, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies, and God of all comfort. So he's encouraging them. He's telling them, hey, I'm not just talking about any old God. I'm talking about the God who's the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Paul knew what it was to experience God's mercy. He'd experienced it dramatically during his missionary travels. And he was speaking out of the overflow of what God had been doing in his own heart. And so he's, he's sharing, he says... If anyone is there to meet us in our time of need, it's God. It's, it's, it's the Holy Spirit of God. And, and the Jews had probably recited this previous statement in the synagogues before they accepted Christ. But now Paul, he says, he didn't want them to miss the work of God in their lives. By speaking of God's compassion, he acknowledged how God was working in his life as a follower. And he was allowing them to see the gospel at work in his own life he says don't miss what God's been teaching me how he's met me in my time of despair my time of agony and pain and that's why it's so important that we teach these things to our children just a few Sundays ago we were talking about in Deuteronomy chapter 6 how as parents God has given us an opportunity to disciple our kids and to pour into them and folks when they rise up in the morning giving praise to God, when you sit down for a meal, you're thanking God and, and, and offering prayers of thanksgiving. When, when we're walking by the way, when we're driving them to school and you're sitting in car line, there's an opportunity to minister to your kids. When you're uh, walking, when you're teaching them how to throw a baseball or a football, there's an opportunity to talk about the things of God and what he's teaching you. When you're helping them with homework, you're, you know, maybe there's times, you ever feel like as a parent, I'm not smarter than a fifth grader? I mean, uh, I get there and sometimes I'll be doing math problems and I'm thinking, I have absolutely, and we're looking 
to get up on YouTube and Google and I mean what's the is there an answer key for the parents I mean anybody else there I mean I'm telling you it's gonna get cranked up here in another week or so and we're all gonna be lost without the answer key you know trying to figure out how do we get down through this season of life and go ahead and let me just give you a, a uh, uh, 411, go ahead and go to the Dollar Tree and buy some of those trifold uh, uh, poster boards, all right? You're going to need them, all right? It's not going to be a waste of money. You'll thank me later, but one night your kid's going to come in about 9.47 p.m. And they're going to be like, Mom, I have a science project that's due tomorrow. And uh, either they've known about this since uh, August the 28th, but uh, somehow it's November 21st and it's the week of Thanksgiving. And this project is due on Tuesday before you peace out on Thanksgiving break. Anybody else have these problems? And there, it's just us, all right? So there's one more. But you know, you, the reality is, is go ahead and buy those things. You're going to use them. Uh, the, the graphic uh, calculator and all these things, the protractor, and uh, just go ahead and buy all that stuff. Keep it in the spare drawer in the kitchen, and you're going to use those things. And I'm, you're going to thank me later. But the reality is, is as we're going through life, teach our kids. God is a God of compassion. He's a God of mercy. He loves us. He cares about our needs. His mercies are new every morning. In Lamentations chapter 3, says the steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. Think about that this morning. His love never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. We don't ever find ourselves beyond the mercy of God. He says they are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. Talk about experiencing the mercy and compassion of God. He loves us more than we can comprehend. Church, we must acknowledge the mercies and compassion of God. The devil will do everything he can to destroy your faith in God. You must remind him that the mercies and compassion of my God is great. He is greater than. He is more than able to do exceeding abundantly above all that we could ask, think, or imagine. So church, as you're facing struggles, teach your kids to say, hey, it's no match for our God. He's no match for the mercy of God. He loves us. He cares about us. The last part of verse 3, he says, he is the God of all comfort. The Greek word for comfort is paraklesis. The meaning here is not, he's not talking about ease or relaxation. He's talking about encouragement. God is the God of encouragement. He's the one who comforts us in our time of need. And it means he's not simply rescuing us from every trouble of life. But he gives us every tool, every necessary training to, and direction to endure those trials that we face in this life. In other words, he equips us for the race he's called us to. We have a number of people that are stepping up to positions of leadership in our church as they're serving either as a deacon or a trustee in, the, in this new year. We're getting ready to do training next Sunday well, with these new officers, but you don't realize that some of them, whenever we, we talk to them in the early process and we talk to them about taking a, 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 taking a position of leadership and we say, you know what, this is what it requires. And you know what, sometimes people say, Pastor, I'm not sure if I'm, if I'm qualified for that or I don't know if, I'm, if I know if I'll say the right things or do the... You realize that sometimes those are the ones that God does the greatest work in 
because they're humble. That's not, and they're willing to say, I'm going to get on my knees and acknowledge without the power of the Holy Spirit, I cannot be the deacon or the leader, the, the pastor, the, the husband, the, the wife, the, 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 the teenager, the college student, the, the student in school this year. I cannot be what God has called me to apart from his power. It's exciting. So he sends the Holy Spirit full of compassion that's why Jesus uses the word paraclete. The Holy Spirit is an encourager. He's a comforter. He, he equips us. And when we change our thinking on this role, we can begin to see how he encourages us even through our trials. So that's how James can say, count it all joy. That's how he can say, I can rejoice. My brothers, he says, when you meet trials of various kinds... Because God is going to use that trial to encourage us and to encourage others. It passes on and, and it continues to minister to other people. And he knew, Paul knew he wasn't alone. The Holy Spirit comes alongside us. He encourages, he shows mercy in our times of greatest need, the times of weakness. And aren't you, aren't you thankful for that church? Aren't you thankful that God is a God who's compassionate? He's merciful. He's rich in mercy. We see also he's the God of all comfort in verse 4. What's Paul saying? He says, God is doing such a work in our lives, we can't even fathom what he has in store. Paul had experienced great trials of persecution, but he had also experienced great times of comfort in God. He said that God comforts us in all of our affliction, so that we might be able to comfort those who are in any affliction with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted. Now, folks, if you read that too fast, you see the word comfort like four times. And it's like, uh, uh, it's, like it's mind-boggling. He says, there's a purpose. The God of all comfort meets us exactly where we are. And he ministers to us in our time of need. And it's not at a dead end. It's not a place you have to U-turn, but it, so that we can go on and do what God is wanting us to do through us is comfort others with the comfort we ourselves have been comforted. Have you ever considered this morning that the trial you just went through, God has a purpose and a plan to use it for your good and his glory? Let that sink in for a second. Have we ever considered God has a purpose to use the trial, the, the suffering that we've gone through for our good and ultimately for his glory? It didn't just happen. God didn't allow you to face it because he doesn't love you. Let that sink in for a second. Because sometimes the devil says, where's God? When your car breaks down and leaves you stranded on the side of I-40, where is God? All right? Anybody else ever done that? And you're, and you're like, man, this is like completely crazy. I've called AAA and I got a busy signal. I mean, nobody's answering. Nobody's coming to my rescue. And I remember one time getting stranded on the side of 95 South in South Georgia going back to college as a college student. And we finally took a... Uh, 
um, what do you call those things, a hammock and hung it up under a road sign that had two poles on it and we just made a day of it. I mean, they, nobody was coming. I mean, and cops would pass right by it and we love cops here at this church. They passed right by because they were going on to something that was bigger and more, you know, and we were broken down on the side of the road. In fact, finally, I mean, it was, we, as we were almost to the exit we were getting off of uh, to, to get some help walking, uh, a cop pulled up and, and picked us up and, and brought us the rest away. And there was a church right around the corner, and they helped us get where we needed to go. And it, 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 it folks, that's the time that you see God do His greatest work when we're weak, when we can't. And, and so, because when we we're in the middle of a great trial, the devil does everything he does to to get us to give up. But when God is in the middle of our worst trial, folks. You experience his compassion. You experience his comfort. He's right there every single step of the way, often carrying us through the deep waters. In Isaiah 43, it says, the last part of verse 1, it says, Fear not, for I have redeemed you. I have called you by name. I'll leave this on the screen. You are what, church? You're mine. You're mine. If my daughter or my son is going through a trial, there's nothing like coming to dad, coming to mom and say, Mom, I'm struggling. Dad, I'm struggling. Dad, I don't know what to do. I've got a decision I have to make. And you're mine. You're called by my name. He says, when you pass through the waters... What's he saying? Verse 2 says, I will be with you through the rivers. They will not overwhelm you when you walk through the fire. You shall not be what, church? Burned and the flame shall not consume you. He says, for I am the Lord your God, the Holy One of Israel. Let's say this last phrase together, church. Your Savior. Y'all got to wake up. I feel like I'm in here all by myself. It says, together, church, your Savior. What is he saying? He says, I've got you. All right, my son likes to say that. I got you. You know, uh, he's got us. He says, I'm carrying you every single step of the way. There wasn't just three men in the fiery furnace. They looked in there and they said, no, there's four in the fiery furnace. And it has the likeness of the Son of God. Why? Because God was there. He was right there in the midst of them. In the lion's den with Daniel, he was there every single step. As Moses uh, calls to the parting of the Red Sea, God was there, and they walked through on dry ground. As Elijah goes carried up in a chariot, God was there. When the sun stood still, God was there. He's saying, all throughout every trial, every suffering, God is there. How many of us needed those verses this morning? I mean, how many of us needed that? I need to be reminded, God is there. He's right there in our time of need. He called us by name. We are his. He is right there giving us comfort and strength. Psalm 46, verse 1, God is a refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. When we face those trials, I don't even know, I don't know what to do. I don't know what to do. Go to God, who is our very present help in trouble. 
What happens is he gives us comfort and peace as we walk that road of suffering and trials that we're like, I'm not alone. I'm not in this thing by myself. He sustains me. He equips me. He carries me. He encourages me. We must be reminded regularly of all that God does. Just when we need him the most, he's there. He's the refuge that we run to, the strength we can count on. Paul wanted the Corinthian church not to focus on the inner divisions that was causing them strife. He says, I want you to focus on God and his comfort for all of us as, as his children. God is there to comfort, encourage, strengthen, even carry us when we don't know where our next breath is going to come from. But listen to what Paul says. He says, God will comfort us so that we may be able to comfort those who are in any affliction. There's a purpose that God wants to teach us to reach out and comfort others with that same measure of comfort that he's given to us. These trials are not a time of despair, but rather an opportunity to reveal the true self and experience God's love in an even greater way. What's he saying? He says, these trials aren't going to be easy, but through the trials, God can and will shape and mold our character. Often it's only through trials that we learn about God's loving care for us. He cares for us. He's our help in time of need. Jesus said in John chapter 14, he says, But the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I've said to you. He says in verse 27, Peace I leave you. My peace I give to you, not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your hearts be troubled, neither, neither let them be afraid. Paul was one of the most afflicted men that ever lived. He suffered cold, nakedness, beating, stoning, imprisonment, uh, criminal assault, shipwreck, desolation, desertion, and so much more. And it's been said his life was a life of perpetual death. In other words, it seemed like every turn he took, he was staring death square in the eyes. But yet, never once was Paul without the comfort of God. Which trials did God bring comfort to Paul? Or how did he do to all of the trials? All means all, and that's all, all means. He didn't say he's there for some of his trials, part-time for his trials, most of his trials. He said, he was there to comfort me in all of my trials. So what are we supposed to do with that comfort? He says we must learn to bless others with the comfort that God has given to us. How did Paul do that? He set an example. They observed his attitude, his actions through all the... Paul demonstrated a calm, a peace, a balance of knowing that God is sovereign and very much in control. Affliction was like the key to Paul's effectiveness in ministry. And folks, that's completely countercultural in today's church. In the American church today, we don't want to have adversity. None of us do. I mean, let's, let's be real. We, when we travel to India, that's where I see the persecuted church. 
When I, when I go to Romania, I see a church that's facing persecution. And you go to pl- different places around the world, you read about the church in China. It's thriving, church. It, it's thriving. Why? Because they're facing adversity. They have to depend upon the comfort of Almighty God. They're facing such battles and struggles. To, but the beauty of what Paul experienced was he passed on to the Corinthian church. It's, like I said, it's completely countercultural. But they comforted Titus, and then ultimately Titus in turn passed it back to the Apostle Paul. He writes about this in 2 Corinthians chapter 7. But God who comforts the downcast comforted us by the coming of Titus. And not only by his coming, but also by the comfort with which he was comforted by you. And he told us of your longing your mourning, your zeal for me, and Paul writes, so that I rejoiced still more. So as Paul encouraged the church, the current churches in turn passing that on to other believers who then turn in turn pass it right back to the Apostle Paul and encouraged him with the words that he had used. Paul's comfort came full circle, just like Dietrich Bonhoeffer's poem would come full circus full circle 30 years later it looks like a circus but folks the reality is it came all the way back to his fiance 30 years later in boston massachusetts as god would do a mighty work using that poem in her life thirdly we see he enables us to comfort others not is he a god of a god of compassion god of all comfort he enables us to comfort others when we share in christ's sufferings We share abundantly in that comfort as well. Paul expected to face trials. After all, Jesus endured great suffering in this life. He told his disciples in John 15, verse 20, Remember the word that I said to you, A servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will. They might. They probably. He says they will also persecute you. If they kept my word, they will also keep yours. What's he saying? He says, it's clear Paul doesn't protect his people. God doesn't protect his people from suffering. Peter agreed with him, uh, with Apostle Paul. In 1 Peter chapter 4, in verse 12, he says, Beloved, do not be surprised at the fire trial when it comes upon you to test you as though something strange were happening to you. Sometimes we look around going, what in the world? Why is God picking on me? I mean, and when he was going down the alphabet, couldn't he have skipped over my name and gone on to the next one? I mean, I've had enough. I mean, I'm tapped out. You know, sometimes people talk about it. all the people moving to the triangle. They're like, we're full, you know. Go on to the next city. Keep moving. Uh, but, uh, we don't feel that way. But the reality is, is uh, when, when God's looking down the list, and you say, why did he pick my name? Why did he choose me to face this? And he says, don't think it, uh, be surprised at the fire trial. He says, as though something strange is happening. He says, but rejoice. I love this word. Insofar, insofar as you share Christ's sufferings, that you may also rejoice and be glad when his glory is revealed. You see, what happens is there's a purpose behind the trials, behind the sufferings. And today, people don't expect or tolerate suffering 
of any kind. Our suffering is our Amazon Prime did not arrive on time. I mean, we had it all mapped out and somehow it did not show up on our doorstep. I mean, our uh, DoorDash was cold when it got to our front porch and we are ticked off. I mean, uh, our, our suffering in this world is, is, we can't even fathom what saints of old and what the New Testament church was facing here in, 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 uh, in Europe and Asia. We can't fathom what people, the suffering of, of, of Paul was like. We expect instant answered prayer with little to no inconvenience at all. We want a fast food God but we want the experience of fine dining. Anybody else like that? Boy, I pray and I expect the Highway 40 to part. <laughs> and I just go straight on through. And I'm the only car on the road. Anybody else for that? I mean, one night this week, 32 car pile up. I mean, I'm sitting here looking at a couple of cars up underneath a tractor trailer thinking, I don't know, sir. I'm so glad I'm not on that stretch of road. I mean, they're not going anywhere for hours. And, and the reality is, is we expect God to act like we're at the fast food place and, and Chick-fil-A where they're literally sending them through by the hundreds. And we want God to answer our prayers, Johnny on the spot, and never have to suffer at all. The reality is, is that is not the life God's called us to. You will experience persecution and sometimes folks when we, when we take what God has done in our lives and we share it with other people it helps them see the glory of God in their own suffering when we can pass along that comfort that God's given to us folks sometimes the best person to minister to someone in a time of trial or suffering is someone who's gone through a very similar experience No one understands what you're going through like someone who's gone through what you're going through. When you experience the power of God and comforting, you're able to share that same comfort with someone else. My wife and I had a a miscarriage over 17 years ago. When you go through something like that, it's a very, it can be a very dark place. You know, over the years, God has put us in front of other couples that are going through the exact same thing. You know what we've been able to say? God was good. He led us every single step of the way. He provided in ways we couldn't imagine. He brought comfort and strength. Like over the last several years, we've had a number of people who've lost a spouse. You know what they, the amazing thing has been to watch is how God has used them to comfort other people who have gone down and experienced the exact same loss. Does it make it any less painful to experience they had? No. But what they're able to say is, 
God is still good. He's still sovereign. He's still in control. And I love watching people in our church just reach across the aisle and put their arm around someone and saying, I love you. You're not in this alone. You're not the only one going through this. And I promise you, I'm going to encourage you any way I can. I'm going to pray for you. I'm going to lift you up and be the Aaron and her lifting up your hands uh, and, and encouraging you in a time of trial because they've experienced a similar loss. Paul had already taught them that as a member of the family of God, we're in this together. In 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 26, he says, If one member suffers, all suffer together. In the same respect, if one member is honored, all rejoice together, too. When there's a loss, we're there to comfort. When there's a time of celebration, we're there to cheer. Folks, that's what the body of Christ is for. Over the years, I've watched this church behave in this manner over and over and over. And it's encouraging and, and comforting to see how we bear one another's burdens. Galatians 6, 2, bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. This is why it's vital that we plug into a local church body so that there are people there to celebrate with us when there's a great time of celebration. There are people there to cry with us and, and hold us up whenever we're times of despair and trial. Folks, we need that. We need that encouragement of a body of believers that, that we're there to care and pray and encourage and, and hold hands. And sometimes you just need someone who will listen. Just listen. Over time, don't forget those people. Don't forget that need some extra care. Invite them to lunch on a Sunday. Drop by and bring them a cup of coffee on a Saturday morning and encourage them. Send them a card in the mail. It might shock them. I mean, they actually took the time to, to write me a note. And, but let them know you're thinking about them. Encourage them. So, Pastor, what's the application? Paul counted his life as blessed. With every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. Even though he faced great suffering, he knew it would draw him closer to God and grow him spiritually. We see, secondly, God is a God of compassion and comfort. Let's look to him in our times of trial and experience the compassion and comfort of a God who loves us. And meets us in our time of need. He's here to encourage us. And then lastly, as a child of God, we don't have to comfort one another. We get to. Did you catch that? We don't have to. We get to. That trial that you're facing says there's nothing new under the sun. Solomon says, there isn't. People have been facing trials since the fall of man in the Garden of Eden. Adam and Eve experienced the loss of a child. They experienced turmoil. They experienced wayward children. They, they experienced 
marital struggles. That wife you gave me, she made me do it. I mean, they're fighting from day one. I mean, from, from the beginning. I mean, I can imagine it was God sitting her, wait a minute, you go over here, you go over here. We got to work this thing out. We got a problem. You know, Houston, we have a problem. We don't have to comfort one another. We get to. Count it a privilege when you can share how God has comforted you with someone who might be going through something similar. And let the comfort that you've received be a source of comfort for someone else. Together, we can experience God's comfort. Paul said, he ministered and blessed me in all of my suffering. Church, look around. We're not in this race alone. God didn't place us on an island by ourselves. He's called us to community. He's called us as a body of believers uh, to, to encourage one another, to lift one another up. So you look around, see those that are suffering, see those that are facing trial, see those that are in a, a time of despair, and be a source of comfort for them. Encourage them. If you've gone through a similar thing, let them know, hey, I'm right here with you. I've got the scars to prove it. But you know what the reality is, is what God did in your heart and life, he wants to use that to be a blessing in someone else's life. Don't talk all the time. Sometimes you just need to be quiet and listen. I've been there. If I can encourage you in anything to know, God has not forsaken you. He's not abandoned you. But he is going to comfort you. And if you allow him, he'll be a source of strength and help. Holy Spirit, would you speak to hearts this morning?